This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Spurs in full cry here. Welcome, listeners, to The Extra Inch. My name's Windy, and I'm joined by my sidekick and best friend, Bardi. Hello, Bardi. Hello, Windy. And our tactics guy, and a man whose methods are second to none in the world, Nathan A. Clark. Hello, Nathan. Yeah, I would describe how I've been so far as perfect, without any kind of error, and any issues that have happened are entirely the blame of other people. Me and Bardi, basically. Uh, well, I wouldn't name names. That would be unprofessional. <laughs> yeah, you just stop short of naming names. <laughs> Yeah, just tow that line. Lovely stuff. Uh, that's the second time I've, I've made that joke in the last uh, 24 hours. So I'm, <laughs> I'm recycling material, but but you know what? I'm beyond caring at this point. Um, shout out to some new patrons. So last, last podcast, uh, we advertised the fact that we've put on a discounted annual subscription to our Patreon. Mm. Uh, Patreon.com forward slash the extra inch. And I want to name check a few people who've signed up. Not necessarily to the annual, but uh, who've signed up newly to the Patreon. Chris Lampy, sorry, I'm reading very small writing. Chris Lampy, <laughs> Alex Scott, Zach Harris, Gianni Nico Cinelli, Mark Dawson, Brian Fowler, Jesse King, Alex Edwards, and Scott Moffat. Thank you to all of you for your support. It's very much appreciated. Uh, I want to give a couple other shout outs. Shout out first to Eugene Mackey for his very logical and sensible email about squad rebuild. Uh, one of the main points that Eugene made was how badly we need a director of football in. Yeah. Um, who was it earlier? Oh my God. Someone in my mentions referred to Steve Hitchin as Stone Cold Steve Hitchin, which I thought was <laughs> elite level nicknaming. Um, another shout out to Chris Kelly, who sent an insanely long and detailed email, which was a fantastic read. And it was about how he started following Spurs, how he fell in love with the club between 2012 and 2019, and how that love has sort of been waning a little bit over the past year, 18 months. Um, very detailed email. Um, I appreciated it, Chris. It was a good read. Thank you. Um, I want to start with this question from David Fleming, which uh, will get us off to a nice positive note before we deep dive on West Ham. Um, David says... Uh, I thought of something you could do for those of us so far from London and who haven't necessarily been to either stadium. Describe a typical day going to and being at White Hart Lane, and especially now since very few people can even go if they are able. It might be soothing to hear about all the sights, sounds, emotions and camaraderie of a day at White Hart Lane in these times. Very timely, Bardi, because we've just had a, a government briefing from Boris or not a government briefing, we just had a speech in the... Um, House of Commons um, from Boris Johnson about relaxation of, of lockdown. And it looks like there might be fans allowed in football stadiums on the last day of the season. That won't be at White Hart Lane. It looks like it'll be at uh, the, the King Power Stadium, Leicester. Uh, but Bardi, talk us through what a, a, a sort of trip to White Hart Lane looks like for you. 
Well, for me, it starts. I get the I jump on the tube, couple of changes, and then you you get out of Seven Sisters, and Seven Sisters is miles from from White Hart Lane. Like it's it's a walk that you wouldn't normally do in any other situation. You would just <laughs> find a bus, or you would get another train, or you would just arrange your life so you didn't have to do that walk. <laughs> But uh, because it's Tottenham, you you do it and you quite happily do it. And I'll meet up with with my mate Yago, or sometimes I might meet T halfway up, depending where he comes through. And then you you wander up the high street, and you're even if things are really bad. So you can ima- I can imagine doing it now. It, it, you have that long walk, and it kind of relaxes you a little bit. You might get a can. To sip your can on the way up and um, even though you may have been dreading the game by the time you arrive at the stadium you're quite positive and just like yes you know what it's going to be it's going to be alright back in the day with old White Hart Lane because it was a misery to to do anything kind of social inside because it was so small you'd go to a pub nearby a beehive or if you if you liked loud, loud techno music you'd go to the the Bell and Hair which is they've changed to the number eight <laughs> Uh, if you like, also if you like spending five pound on a can of beer, but in the new stadium, they they serve decent beer and it's quite a nice atmosphere, especially when it's full up. And it's, it's even though it's full, you can still move around, you can still find people and meet up with people. But I head to Beaver Town, a couple of beers in Beaver Town, and then make my way up to my seat. And it's it's about the kind of the signposts, the things you do, the routines you do, the people you meet. The sometimes. Um, yeah, the core kind of group of people you always see is the same, but sometimes you bump into someone who listens to the pod and you have a nice little chat to them about the football. And it, it's it's lovely. And it's these moments now that I watch Tottenham now and I can almost turn off my emotions. I don't get that invested to it. We lost to West Ham and we'll get into why we lost to West Ham, but I'm not as bothered about it because I'm at home and I can just turn the TV off and just take a step back. Whereas at the stadium, you would... You probably then have another beer to kind of cheer yourself up, but you've got it's a total different experience of being with your friends and then walking that long walk back to Seven Sisters again, where it's just crowded and you hear all different bits of conversation going on around you about what what the manager should have done, how the chairman needs to go mm. go and everything else like that, and it it's I feel less attached to Tottenham right now than I than I have in a long long time. Well, thanks for that, Barney. It was meant to be an uplifting section. <laughs> no. you've, you've ended on that. Jesus Christ. Nathan, cheer us up. Tell us what it's like for you going to White Hart Lane or, or Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, as we refuse to call it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And we'll continue to. I think I think we might be, apparently we're approaching uh, a naming right still, um, but it will still be White Hart Lane. Mm, yeah. There were some rumours a couple of weeks ago. I think, I think that there's rumours that it might be Amazon, which is just so Oh my blank. God. Uh, anyway, it's been it's been quite a while, so it's a slightly foggy memory. Uh, but I'm really looking yeah. forward to it. So, quite unusually, uh, I think is is my ex- experience going to to White Hart Lane. Um, I am a Tottenham fan because of my dad. You can hear in my voice that I'm not from Tottenham. My dad grew up in Harlow or Arlo, as he calls it. Um, so he's a Tottenham fan for that reason, and so as a result, I'm a Tottenham fan because of him. So uh, I very rarely go to a game without him. So it's sort of um, it's 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 the day that I spend with my dad. Basically, um, it's a long train ride. It's it's half an hour, an hour on the train with the tube included too. 
Um, and it's a chance for us to talk about Spurs and other things as well, but we often mainly talk about Spurs on the way up. Um, sometimes the long train ride uh, will bring us to the White Hart Lane station, and sometimes it'll bring us to Seven Sisters, where we still have a considerable walk ahead of us. His, uh, his knees, and also mine right now, uh, aren't, aren't doing too well with that walk, so less and less, and less of that. Um, occasionally we drive up if it's more in the daytime, but uh, it's mainly the train. Um, and then, yeah, we, we try to arrive a little earlier. And again, the new stadium really helps because there's like a decent place to stand around where you're not like, you know, in a puddle of piss or whatever before the game. Um, and, and have a drink beforehand. Um, increasingly with the new stadium, we are sat apart for the actual game. Uh, but the old White Hart Lane was much more easy for us to, to be sat together. It used to be sat right behind the manager in the old stadium. And now we tend to be located in various places. Well, he has a season ticket. Or he had a season ticket until very recently. Uh, he sort of had enough of, you know, <laughs> forking out for not going to games this season. But there you go. Um, so we, we're normally, normally in the wall. Um, watch the game and then afterwards we we don't stick around for too much longer or i don't at least when my when my dad is is there uh he tends to be pretty tired <laughs> after being sort of stood up to watch football after a long long train ride and long um so we 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 hop back i mean it's often if it's an evening game we're trying to rush to get on the last train back anyway uh if if we if we uh if we're doing all right for time we'll grab some some food at victoria and then talk about the game, unless it was terrible. <laughs> we will talk about the game for a long train ride back. There's um, this that that walk is it's quite exceptional because you do find hope on the way there, and on the way back, on the way home, you do find hope once again. It doesn't matter, even getting pumped by by Munich seven two. When you arrive at Seven Sisters, you think, oh, it's okay, you know, they were always going to be the tough game. We've still got more games to end up getting out of the to qualify for the next round. It's 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 a strange it's a strange walk, but also one that if you are visiting Tottenham for the first time, you, you kind of have to do it. I think that um, it's the, the fresh air mm. and like also so many Spurs fans, but spread out over that sort of mile and a half or whatever it is walk. Um, I don't know. I you it sort of it slightly reminds me of like uh, music festivals. Yes, it's yeah. that sort of it's a sense of community on a large scale. It's a sense of being among your people and belonging. Mm. Uh, I think that's it. I think that's it. 100% agree. Um, it's really funny because when I'm sort of picturing the walk from Seven Sisters uh, to the stadium, I'm sort of in my head, I'm straight away jumping to a nice sunny day. Nice sunny day. <laughs> yeah. uh, everyone's wearing like shorts in their Spurs shirt and a pair of trainers. And I'm just kind of stopping off at the Beehive and then going to the Antwerp Arms for a couple of pints on the way. And, you know, you can enjoy the sun with your drink. But the last couple of times I've been to Spurs, it was absolutely pissing down with rain. And I got drenched, like running back to my car to try and make it before my parking expired. And it was not, not the pleasant journey that I'm sort of thinking about now. But that's that's the sort of... Because I've got such good memories of going to White Hart Lane, I kind of, I suppose, I've conditioned myself to think of it in those glowing terms and to think of all the nice things about it. And 
I sort of think back to my youth and the smell of, of cooking onions and burgers sort of wafting through the air and, and even sort of the old White Hart Lane smelt terrible. Like you, when you walked in there, it just sort of stank of, of sweat and urine, essentially. Um, and it was really not the nicest environment, but I've got such fond memories of it that mm. I've whitewashed that from my memory. I don't, I don't care about that. And I mean, with the new stadium, it's, it, the, the pitch looks so impressive. The view you get of the pitch when you walk into the stadium is so impressive um, that it kind of takes your breath away even when you, you're used to it. You sort of almost forget, like, wow, this mm. is actually quite a spectacle. Uh, it's the same for me at the old White Hat Lane as well, like heading up those concrete steps, quite steep concrete steps with stewards sort of dotted around the top. And I used to arri- I used to try and arrive quite early so that uh, I could watch the warm-up and kind of settle in. Um, so you'd go, and, you'd go and take your seat. And as more people arrived, you'd be having to kind of shuffle out of your seat to let them pass you. Um, obviously, you can't have a, a beer in view of the pitch in English football, which is a shame. So quite often drinking a tea or coffee. And then every now and again, as it starts to fill up, a few people will start getting a few little chants going, a few little come on your spurs. And then as it becomes more and more full, closer and closer to to kickoff time, they start pumping through music. They start sort of pumping through pre-match stuff on the video screens. And that's when the atmosphere starts revving up and you get the sort of initial murmurings before once the players comes out, come out, you get this huge sort of booming, rapturous welcome Mm. and oh my god it's so good i miss it so much i mean they need to find the balance at the new stadium on how much kind of visual and how much stereo music they pump through but i i I, i'm getting conscious that we haven't talked about west ham yet but i just want to say about tottenham is that i i hate tottenham and i love tottenham so much that even on the worst day of watching Tottenham, it's still a great day because I'm watching Tottenham. So even if I was there now and we getting pumped by someone, it's still a great day because I've got the privileged position of being able to watch the team I love live. Even on the worst, darkest days, it's 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 a privilege to be able to watch Tottenham. And I know we've got a lot of people who listen to this and they're miles and miles away from Spurs and they've never been. And I recommend even going to watch them lose is still a great thing because it's the club that you love that much. And even now we get in a lot of emails of people losing their love in Tottenham, but that's just football, man. Football is up and down and it's the downs that make the ups the better. And you just got to ride it out. There's no point in, in losing faith now in Tottenham because of a manager. That's the manager is a, 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 speck of sand on the on the coast it doesn't mean anything that manager will be gone but Tottenham endure so just keep loving Tottenham so let's jump into West Ham after all that nostalgic chat uh (laughs) team selection team selection what have we got to say about team selection I mean I guess the thing about the team selection for the West Ham game is I think our our expectations were influenced by the Wolfsburger match so, I mean, I guess I should ask this question first from Thomas Freeman, who asked it post-Wolfsburger. Surely the manager should throw a Son, Deli, Kane, Bale front four on the pitch on Sunday and see what happens. Regardless of that match specifically, it must be realistic to hope the manager gives Bale and or Deli a run of games in the team now that he seems to have softened, now that he seems to have softened his stance on them. Seeing the quality of Bale and Delhi tonight after Wolfsburg, albeit against the North team, only further underlines how uninspiring our attackers Barcane and Son have been this season. So with that in mind, Nathan, 
how did you feel when Lucas, and to a lesser extent, the Mello were included in the starting 11? Right. Am I losing my mind? Or did Mourinho literally say after the Wolfsburger game, I took Bale off so that I can start him on Sundays? Does that not happen? Have I imagined that? Or did have I misconstrued what he said? I really thought Bale was going to start. I thought it was it was then mm. went round in the press that it was going to start after that comment as well. So I was I put Bale into my lineup ready to to, to <laughs> upload it to Twitter, and then I did take him back out again. Uh, I mean, he came on. Uh, did he come on at half time? Yeah, he came on at half time, and I thought we had a good half. So maybe, good. maybe very, he's very starting. Good. Maybe he's starting um, next week or whatever. But um, <laughs> I was, I was surprised that he didn't start. Is is the short answer? Yeah, yeah, me too. And Bardi uh, Tanganga at right back. Yeah, I thought that was a bit of a bizarre decision because West Ham, you know, West Ham deserve a lot of credit for where they are, but they're not. They're not going to hold. They're not Manchester City. They're not going to keep the ball. They play very much how we played earlier on in the season. They they keep things tight and they all grab a goal through a set piece or a counter attack or just wait for Tottenham to gift them a goal. So I I thought it was strange to start with Tanganga, who's who's a decent defender, but he's he's not very good going forward. And I thought Doherty did okay against Wolfsburger. So I thought that was a strange decision. Um, Lamella, fair enough, and I did think Lucas starting Lucas was bizarre, but in a weird way, he played okay, Lucas. But not starting Bale and not starting Doherty definitely hurt us, and it, it handed the initiative to to West Ham. I uh, I didn't really notice it so much at the time, but I watched a compilation. I shared it on Twitter as well. I saw a compilation <coughs> of of Tanganga's game against City, and I did think he looked pretty impressive going forward. Okay, um, so I think I think there's more to be sort of explored there. But then in this game, I thought that we were or maybe the intention wasn't this way and it was just the habits of the players but I, I thought we might have been playing that sort of slightly wonky uh, defensive line with, with Tanganga staying deep and, and Regulon pushing on and then he decided to abandon that pattern and as a result of abandoning that pattern abandoned Tanganga I didn't think he had sort of you know 45 minutes that were deserving of substitution mm-hmm. I think it was just a tactical change yeah yeah definitely I I, you know, in West Ham, the, the Rice-Suchek partnership is something, something to admire. That there's strength and then there's ability to cover ground. And, you know, those, those two combined with Diop, they, they did kind of keep us at bay for a long time, but I thought we we're okay. I did think we we're okay. And I, I think, I think the result flattered West Ham a little bit. I know that's probably not in the main and not with the narrative, but I thought we were better than, uh, than the 2-1 defeat. Well, it was a Moyes masterclass, wasn't it? You know, mm. get, get the early goal, get the early goal, and then sit back and 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 wait to see what the opposition can do. And and we didn't do a great deal. Um, on Tanganga, briefly, if I may, mm. uh, I'm getting a bit fed up with the use of Tanganga, and I would say almost say the treatment of Tanganga, um, because I think he's genuinely got the potential to become one of our best centre backs. I, I think he's a really talented young player, and. So Mourinho came out earlier in the season and said that he sees him as a as a fullback who can play either side. I was disappointed when I heard that because I felt like it meant that he wouldn't play centre back. He subsequently has played centre back a couple of times and I think he's done okay when when he's done it. Um I think it was against it was the game against Orient that got postponed, I think. We heard a leak of the team news and Tanganga was due to play defensive midfield in that match. Mm. Which, I mean, I just find it baffling. I, I really find it baffling. I, I think his skill set is so well suited to a Mourinho centre-back. It's just that he's a little bit shorter, but he's really strong in the air. Um, and, and I think we're wasting his talents by playing him as a as a right-back. I, I think, like Nathan said, he did a, a pretty good job against City of getting forward. But it, you can see it's not natural to him. Like, he's 
He's a little bit flat-footed. He's very, he's very agile. Very like he's a good mover, and he's technically sound. But he's not kind of a natural um, right back. His body's at all the wrong angles to play full back. I think. I mean, I don't have an issue with Tanganga playing right back. There's plenty of great defenders who started at full back and moved inside. Botang, Maldini, these kind of guys. I don't have a problem with that. Him playing there, or even having a go in centre midfield. Ledley King played centre midfield. You know. Um, it happens and maybe he did get quite a nasty whack in the balls that might have had an oh, impact god, as yeah. well that was that wasn't didn't didn't look good yeah that oh my god I winced when I saw that seriously mm. and I, I made I made a joke in the um in the discord chat about um like where's the testicle protocols yeah <laughs> <laughs> they've got all this fuss about concussion subs but Jesus Christ I actually really like right back for him uh, for the time being. I think it really suits. I think that like his 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 one v one defending is is better than his sort of spatial defending. His back post defending. I think he looks really really good against Raheem Sterling, which is a uh, a really <laughs> tough thing mm. to do, you know. Um, and I also think that he has the sort of athleticism uh, to 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 fit the modern fullback game. So I think that. Short term or even medium term, talking like a couple of years, um, I think right back and even left back might be a good place for him um, just to get first team experience and develop his defensive game uh, in senior football and take the sort of, yeah, the Ramos kind of route of arriving mm. at centre back after a couple of years. I think that's right. I see quite a few similarities in, in, um, Skill set obviously Tanganga isn't diving in for reds on a regular basis like Ramos was in it early on at least. Um, but yeah, I, I think I think right back actually could could sue him for a while. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think personally that so I was really nervous about Mikel Antonio before this game, uh, and I, in in hindsight maybe I didn't need to be. Although he did score, uh, he, he didn't have quite <laughs> the game that I expected him to have, and maybe that's because he scored so early. Um, but I was thinking, like, if if there's one player in our squad that I really fancy to be able to, to, to cope with Antonio, to cope with him one-on-one, is Tanganga, because he's such a tenacious, intelligent uh, one-on-one defender, as Nathan's pointed out. And I was really nervous about Antonio up against Sanchez. I didn't think Sanchez was awful, except for the goal, to be honest. Um, but in terms, let's talk about the style of the match and the ebb and flow of the match. So West Ham did get the early goal, and it meant that they could just be, basically play on the counter-attack uh, for the rest of the game. And that left a lot of space for Spurs to attack. Um, and I thought we, we attacked fairly well, but what we didn't do was create good opportunities in the box. And we ended up having lots and lots of shots from outside the box. Um, Nathan, did you have a feeling for sort of what Spurs were trying to engineer? Uh a change in game state is what Spurs were trying to engineer. You know, I, I don't think that we played well in this game. I don't think that we attacked especially well. Um, we had possession and we had a lot of shots because the scoreline forced us into those situations. Um, there are a lot of pot shots, 20 shots, uh, not totaling one expected goal it, mm. overall. Um, on that metric, we were outperformed by West Ham in this game. So I, I, I reject the narrative that we played really well and were unlucky in this game. We did hit the, the, the bar... And the post, I, I accept that, but like maybe we were we were lucky to hit the bar on the post, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, again, it's it's just so um, did did a decent job. Obviously, whenever you play in Dombele deep, you're going to do a decent job of accessing the attacking players. Yeah, yeah. Um, and we we did that. We we found our our front line, which which eventually came in a, a front five. Um, but after that, it's so improvisational, and it's so hard to improvise against a packed defence that we improvised long shots and crosses um, 
Yeah. And I don't know, maybe if, you know, it's definitely not inconceivable that we could have scored eventually, especially as we were really throwing it forward <clears throat> at the end. But um, I didn't think we looked especially threatening. Um, and to me, it's just more of the same of what we've seen recently. Well, it was the the Kane cross that he that he fluffed was the big one. That was that was like the one chance where I felt we really should have taken that opportunity. I mean, it wasn't easy. Don't get me wrong. If if the if one of the best players in the league is not able to make that cross effectively, it's clearly not an easy chance. But uh, it wasn't a very um, well timed cross by Kane. It was cut out by Declan Rice. Um, and the goal we did score was a really good header from Lucas. But again, it's like. It felt like we were relying on set pieces too much again. But that that said, that is a while we're struggling, that is a route to goal at the very least. Um, yeah, I mean, Bardi, what did you think? How did you think the second half panned out? And I'm interested to get your take on how you thought Bale played. I mean, if you if you offer up West Ham two golden opportunities, then immediately, I don't know the science behind XG, but if you if you allow the ball to drop to um, Antonio's feet in the six-yard box and then you allow Lingard to run through one-on-one with, with Lloris, then West Ham didn't... I know West Ham didn't do anything, but they they scored two goals. I still think... I'm not defending Jose because it's appalling. This shouldn't happen. But these these players... I, I can't get my head around these defenders. I can't get my head around what uh, Dyer and Lloris were doing for that first goal. I have a little bit of a feeling that that was a body check on Reggion and probably the referee should have blown up and I'm not sure if VAR looked at it but I thought that was a clear check, obstruction, something to stop the balls, to stop the cross being closed down in the first place. I thought Bale looked great. Bale had intelligence, he moved the ball well, he took up some great spaces, he went wide, he cut inside, he spread the ball brilliantly. I, I have a lot of hope. I thought I thought Bale might be dead and finished, but mm, there's something too. there's something there in him, and he may not have the speed and he may not have that kind of electric drive anymore, but he knows how to play football and technically he's a he's a gifted player. And that left foot is uh, I don't know, it's the best left foot in our in our team surely. And I I still I think we can build a team around that. I think he needs to start every single game that his body can handle now because. He does things that no one else can do. The The technique to hit the crossbar off that volley was brilliant. The corners were decent. And West Ham didn't know what how to deal with him. And he linked quite well with Doherty on, on a few occasions. And I know we did end up just lobbing the ball in. But we were at least, at least we were able to conjure up something and put off our fullbacks into a dangerous position. And they didn't have the ability to, to round it off. But I thought we even managed to do that a little bit in the first half. There is some hope from this, but to do that, we need to build a team around Bale, Delhi, Kane and Son, and then just try and get those defenders to clear the ball, to, to, to go and win it. And if it means that Dyer never playing again, then fair enough, because I think now he's had way too many chances. He's had more chances than anybody else, but he continues to make mistakes and like real mistakes that punish us. He, it did feel a little desperate at the end, though, didn't it? You know, you, you look at the, the players who ended up on the pitch. We had Kane, Son, Deli, Lucas, Bale and Dombele all on at once. Um, it felt a little frenetic, a little bit kind of... I mean, I, I thought the players did a reasonable job in in keeping their spacing in the last sort of 10, 15 minutes in terms of they were spread quite well across the pitch and some were dropping into the sort of 10 area. Um, so they weren't just sort of lining up in the box waiting for crosses. I thought they did that reasonably well. But to, to have not created one like really clear-cut chance 
in all that half is is a little disappointing i thought um but i agree with bardi that bale was really impressive i mean and i i also agree that i i thought he was dead too and i was I, i've been talking about sort of the loan coming to an end and it just being le- left to left to expire and then that's that and we say goodbye and he goes to china or wherever but actually if he if he can pull out performances like that then absolutely i'd take him back next season of course i would i mean he, he looked like um he didn't look like Bale of old, but he looked like a proper elite footballer. Um, the, the switch out to Son on the on the far side was fantastic. Some of his little sort of balls inside, little crosses were really imaginative, really creative. Uh, unlike anything we've got from other players in the team, so unusual from that perspective. Yeah, and and the, the volleyed shot he had, half volleyed shot he had that hit the bar was was really good. Um, there was a lot to admire in his performance, but. As a team, we just didn't have any coherent... There's no... I don't know. There's nothing to hang your hat on. There's nothing that made me think, yeah, we're playing in a way that eventually is going to grind them down. We're, we're, we're doing all the right things. We're putting them out of position and eventually we're going to find a way through. I just didn't have any hope that we would. Um, I think we would have. I think I think eventually it would have told, but we can't... This this whole tactic, this whole system is not designed to, to keep going down, to keep conceding stupid goals. And I don't, I don't think we're, we're not going to achieve anything this season if we continue to make stupid mistakes at the back. It's done. You know, if, unless, unless you can brainwash our defenders or coach them or do something, I, I don't, I don't think we can achieve anything with, with Eric Dyer at centre back. It's kind of weird that he keeps picking Dyer, isn't it? Because he's just in such a bad... He's, he's looking so bad so often. Uh, and, and yet Roden can't get a look in. Tanganga hasn't had a look in the centre-back recently. It's um, it's a strange one. Um, go on, Nathan. Well, Harry B made the point that while he rates Roden, so do I, that like, bringing him into the situation might be negative for his development, while he might be an improvement on Dyer if he's not... Um, then it, it's a big step back in his career and really can undermine his confidence and his ability to, to grow going forwards and bringing him into a negative situation is, mm-hmm. is a big risk. Uh, and I, I understand that, but Just yeah, I mean, he, 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 well, yes, I still think that Toby <laughs> Adavera was a pretty good footballer, but there you go. He does keep picking Dyer and then essentially lay the blame on Dyer and Sanchez. <laughs> same situation. Mm. Dyer and Sanchez wouldn't be my selections. I don't think they're the best centre backs in the world, but to like, to do what he did and after the match and basically say, it's not my fault. I'm perfect. Dyer and Sanchez are throwing away games. It's like, that's not enough. That's, firstly, it's not acceptable for him to say that to the media because like, what does that achieve? What does that do? How does that motivate players? How is that going to totally improve them? It totally undermines their confidence. For me, the only reason for him to say that is to protect himself. Um, but put that aside and, and leave that as something that is simply implies rather than outright said or assumed by us. I, I still don't think it's, it's a good enough argument, right? Um, he picks Dyer and Sanchez, but they aren't so, like, they're not worse than Diop and Pawson, you know? No, no. Who's, no. Pawson who's been relegated multiple times. Dawson. The, Pawson's the ref, isn't he? Yeah. <laughs> Dawson who's been relegated multiple times. Um, they're, they're not, so ter- and if they are so terribly bad that they're going to give away a goal every single game, then we have to attack better. Then we have to have some structure and mm-hmm. some plans and 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 the desire to have the ball a lot more because that's how you overcome that. I I I try not to bring up Pochettino too much because I don't want this to be the Pochettino show. But he is the only point of comparison here, which is that he won many games in which 
Dyer played at centre back and or Sanchez played at centre back. It's not like these are players that you can't win games with, you know. And I, I th- that is the narrative that it is impossible to win Premier League games with the only centre backs that we're allowed to pick. It's just such total nonsense to me. It's completely ridiculous. If it is as extreme as we're gonna throw a goal in the back of our net every single game, which is not true. One thing score is two. Like, <laughs> then fucking score two, man. Yeah. Where's the two? And yeah, uh, more more specifically, you can say, look, that that specific bit of space between Dyer and Larice is where we're conceding a lot of goals. Okay, Larice needs to call it and he needs to come out. And if Dyer doesn't hear that call, he needs to cover it. Fine, those are individual mistakes. But where is the coaching there? Where is looking at that specific situation and saying we need to do some specific training with Dyer and Larice and their combination and their communication and their awareness of the space between them? Yeah, I, I agree a lot with what Nathan said. I think a lot of this is on, is on Jose because individually Diop is not better than our centre-backs, but he does have the advantage of Declan Rice and Suchek in front of him who are insane defensive midfielders and a goalkeeper in Fabianski who has... Has, has, he, I mean, he's always been a decent shot stopper, but he's now become a, a solid goalkeeper that's, that's coming for crosses and not making basic errors that our goalkeeper's making. But Moyes has, has done something with that back line that just, the gaps aren't there. The, the, we, Spurs couldn't drop that ball into that gap that West Ham were finding. Even when Kane got wide and crossed it in, they had a sent, they had a defensive midfielder there to sweep up. And just their defensive positioning is is a lot better than ours. But you know, it does it does help when you're winning and you're able to sit back and low block and counter, which they did to us. But Mourinho does does have to answer these questions on why, as the best coach in the world, he can't get more out of out of his defensive players. Well, you mentioned defensive midfielders there, Bardi, and I'd, mm. I'd like to ask you about Huibier. Um I mean, we've been saying for a while that Huibier needs a rest; that he can't keep playing all these minutes. Mm. Uh, and we can't expect him to. Well, I mean, my my fear was that he'd get injured. That was my big fear. Mm. Uh, the, the reality is, his form has dropped off a cliff. Yep. Uh, and, and he's not now giving the levels of performance that he was for for many weeks in a row. You know, even in some of our bad performances, Huibier was coming out with his head held high, and we were saying, "Look, we had a really bad game today, but at least we've got Huibier sort of trying to make things happen, trying to lead in a midfield." Uh, recently, he seems to be a shadow of his former self. Is, is that simply is that simply fitness? I mean, he was really loose. For his first pass was over here and I think it might have even gone out for a throw in there was moments where he he actually ran into uh, other Spurs players there was a time when Dyer had the ball and when when whenever Dyer has the ball at the back and decides to press on into midfield I get nervous but there was Schoeberg was not moving for him was not creating a passing lane or an angle for him so it, it meant Dyer just wandered down into that cul-de-sac that he, he loves to find I think I think Schoeberg might be mentally and physically done in but yeah he he was he wasn't good and the issue with that is that our manager has um upset harry winks to the degree that his confidence and performance levels have dropped off a cliff as well so it's not like we have a viable alternative to huey at the moment um Nathan, Bardi and I have recorded a section about Wolfsburger because we wanted to get our thoughts sort of close to that match. So let's drop that in now, but it'll be good to then get your thoughts on that game. Okay. 
Wolfsberger, Vardy. Um, very positive first half, I thought. Um, Bale and Delhi in particular. What did you make of it? Do you know what? I, I enjoyed it. Not just because we won, but it was nice to see something a little bit different. To see a um, an opposition that was was strange and almost exotic you know after <laughs> these kind of like period of time where there's been so much football and so many faces and just a narrative around individuals Salah, Alisson, Vardy, everything else it was nice to watch a, a group of men that I'd ne- I didn't have any idea who they were so I, I found it quite refreshing from the start it was, it was it was nice it was a nice experience. And they played a really kind of quite unique style I say hmm. unique I mean it was compared in commentary to Bielsa's Leeds and I think that was a pretty good comparison because whilst they were I mean exceptionally uh, organized in, in some senses in the press they had major flaws through the middle of their team um, what did you think of the style they tried to play against us you know it's quite brave I, I admired that how they did that they did come out to try and play us but they they really did play into our hands it was almost like they'd mm-hmm. never seen Tottenham play before and if you could pick an opposition to line up against us that that would be it it was almost at points you're watching them and you're like they're a, um, a pro evolution soccer game that don't have the right to name all the players because you know like Spangler <laughs> Jovilic the striker there was even an individual who had his socks and he could almost be like a, a cheap B-Tech version of, of Grealish <laughs> it was uh yeah as I mean I'm, I'm smiling now thinking about their team and I, you know I don't I doubt there's many Wolfsburger fans that listen to our podcast but if they if they are I enjoyed playing their team and not just because we we thumped them and you can see why sort of in a lesser league that they would be incredibly difficult to play against the problem is they weren't playing against lesser players they were mm. playing against very good players and uh, in, certainly in the first half I mean Bale uh, so the thing with Bale's performance is he didn't get the ball very much he, he only made 16 passes but four of those created chances a quarter of his passes were key passes yeah. quite extraordinary performance because at times it was kind of just like frustrating that the ball wasn't going his way and then it did go his way and he did something sort of so often that he was yeah you just kind of wondered why we weren't just giving the ball to him constantly yeah I mean I think that is partly due to the the problems of our central of a central midfield pairing of Sissoko and Winks that that didn't help and not mm. having Endombele there I think think had Endombele started that game it might have been a cricket score but yeah there was positives to take from it I thought Bale thought Bale was nice and it's good to see that Jose has fixed Gareth Bale and he's fixed Deli Alli <laughs> and he's even fixed he's even managed to fix Lucas that was quite a goal from Lucas and that's a goal I think Nathan might have tweeted that that's a goal we see Lucas attempt many many times but he never pulls it off and he finally he did pull it off <laughs> that's a yeah that's a really astute point actually mm. yeah that's literally the goal that Lucas dreams of scoring every night when he goes to bed yeah. dribble dribble around some men and then get a finish away before the keeper can react that is literally what Lucas wants to happen it never does because yeah. this time it did it's, it was really it was really decent it's um it's, um, it's like a futsal it's like you know um Brazil <laughs> I, I, I'd never played futsal but I ended up playing it in the least Latin place in the world I played it in Sweden and it was a very futsal goal goal where you just tick tack tick and it's in the back of the net. Delhi was really good too, really lively, mm. really creative. Uh, seemed sort of slightly spiky as well, I thought, in his performance. 
Um, I, I was I was thoroughly enjoying watching Delhi, enjoy being on the ball, having a bit of fun, trying things. Okay, his shots didn't always come off. In fact, one of them was especially poor. Uh, but creative passing wise, movement, appreciation of space, it was it was all the kind of classic Delhi elements. I thought. Yeah, you know, one of the best things about Delhi when he first broke onto the scene was his, you know, he he was almost like an angry young man. He played with a bit of fire in him and he did cross the line a few times. But I think the media and everything else is kind of like they beat it out of him. And he, he's become quite a passive footballer, which is which is not where it's not Delhi at his best. And he did have that little bit of spite. He did leave his foot in. He did press. He did get he did get stuck in for one of a better phrase and it was great to have that that angry man back and I hope he can remain angry and he can he can carry that form into the weekend. I noticed that um, we had an automation in this match. So so Nathan made a YouTube video, it's on our YouTube account, of some automations that Spurs might use to progress the ball forward. And the one in this match that was really effective was Son dropping deep into midfield, uh, the ball being played into him either to his feet or to his chest, Matt Doherty making a burst forward on the right. Son just quickly getting it down and playing a ball out wide to Doherty and him having acres and acres of space to run into. And it worked really well. It allowed us to get the ball up the field. Doherty was, I thought, quite impressive, probably one of his best games for Spurs. Mm. Um, and, and we were kind of moving the ball forward. It often ended with Bale getting the ball and something happening as well, which was which was great. In the second half, uh, Wolfsburg... Uh, switched to a back three or back five, depending on how you want to look at it. It was pretty much a back five, if I'm honest. Um, And I think that was a deliberate attempt to stop this automation happening, to stop Doherty finding himself in so much space on the right. And to be fair to them, I mean, it really did work. They they improved drastically in the second half. I think there were a few elements, um, a few reasons for that. Firstly, the tactical change. Secondly, they clearly stopped pressing quite so hard and and retreated a little bit. And thirdly, Spurs let the tempo drop as well. I mean, it's very Mm -hmm. tempting to to allow that to happen when you're a few goals clear. Uh, but what this meant was they started trying to get a foothold back in the game and then Sissoko made a very clumsy decision in his own box. Um, were, were you feeling nervous at that point? I, You know, Sissoko was at fault for this, but Dyer should have seen the the press and player hairing down, like running towards him. Dyer should have spotted that and shouldn't have put Sissoko under that pressure. I agree Sissoko should have had the, the skill and technical ability to control it and spin out of that, but... Sometimes you need to look around and realise who you're passing to and where you're passing. And I think Dyer made an error of judgment knocking into Sissoko and then he compounded it by making an error. I think I think both are at fault for that. Yeah, it it was weird. Pre-game, Tifo did a really nice tweet about how to how to play out of a press. And yeah, that's literally not how to play out of a press. But I think I think that is responsible for Dyer and Sissoko. Regarding the second half, I think it also Sun coming off changed the game. So yes, you were talking about an automation involving Sun. It's very difficult to continue that when you're swapping Sun for Vinicius, who did who did okay and uh, got a got a nice goal and a a goal that kind of makes it far more relaxing the second leg because three um, one is is a good victory, but four one is, you know, that's that's job done now. 4-1 means we can hopefully rest some players. That's um, It was really crucial, I think, to have a, a decent... Having gone quite strong in the match, I, th- I think it was important to, to get some goals. Um, had Son not started, then you might have accepted a 1-1 a or a 2-1. But, you know, if, you, if you're if you going to use Son, you want to make sure you kill the tie-off. 
Um, I thought Son had a really good game, actually, really good, well, really good half. Mm. Uh, as well as the automation, whether he was dropping deep to collect the ball, he was also equally doing um, good things in terms of making runs beyond their back line. And so they were constantly guessing. Um, I'm just wondering whether whether Son is a viable alternative for Kane as a striker after all. I mean, we, we've had this debate many times. Uh, clearly, he's not as good when he plays through the middle. But in games against lesser opposition, do you think he's a, a viable alternative? Yeah, for sure. Definitely. Um, he, he, yeah, he proved that last season when Kane was out that he, through the middle, through the middle, he works. He gives us something different. Obviously, he's not Kane, but he's what we've been speaking about for, for many years now. He's that kind of wide forward that can play central that offers us a, an option to play with Kane or without Kane. So, yeah, I don't have any, I don't have any problems with him there. And how are you feeling, Bardi, off the back of this result? Obviously, a comfortable, comfortable win with Bale getting some form back. Delhi looking sharp and and uh, back in touch at least with the first team squad. Does this sort of fill you with confidence for the upcoming fixtures? I mean, the Europa League is it's a competition that I really would like to win, and it's a competition that I think if if we win it, then I you I think it, I posted this question trying to wind you and Nathan up a little bit in our in our ex subs Discord chat. Would winning the Europa League kind of cleanse all the sins of our domestic season? And I think I think it would. I think it it ticks the box of getting us into the Champions League, and it ticks a box of of winning a major trophy, a trophy that Tottenham you know won it a couple of times, but we haven't been near it really since the since the seventies. So. I think I think this is a an interesting and exciting competition, and I I really would like us to win it. And I think I think if if our domestic form does tail off, I think we're going to really go for it, and that's what I'm happy to see. Looking around the competition, just I took in the the Arsenal game and following the other results, it's 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 wide open. Napoli look like they might be going out. One of Arsenal, Benfica, but to be honest with you, Benfica's, I would like to play against Benfica with if they're lining up with Vertonghen and Otamendi in, in defence. But it's a great competition with some decent teams in there, but I think we can, I think we can win it. So what have you got to say, Nathan? How did you think that match went? Uh, obviously, 4-1. Um, so varying opinions on social media around whether that flattered us or not. How did you think the game went? I think it went well. Um, I, I can definitely see why he records at the time because it does feel incredibly distant right now. I essentially my memory is that like I was actually kind of um, God. I was going to use the word worried, but that's dishonest. I thought that there was a chance that Wolfsburg's press would give us troubles because um, I went away and I did I did a preparation video on them, just a short like a five ten minute one, uh, looking at the way that they play, and they're quite similar to to Lask. Um, and I pointed out on Twitter that like Lasker, a team who in one game we easily thrashed and dismantled and the other game we had a nightmare against. Um, so I thought that those were sort of on the cards again with their extremely aggressive high pressing and, and fast play style. Um, and it was definitely more of the, the sort of cakewalk situation. Um, yeah, I mean, tactically there wasn't a huge amount to take from it. It was just, oh look, our second choice players aren't bad when they've got like a tiny bit of space and time and, and they've played some matches together now. That, that was my takeaway. Fair enough, fair enough. Um, I, I, before we move on to some questions, I just, I appreciate that we've been quite negative so far, and I, so I want to inject a bit of positivity, which is to say that I feel, I do still feel really good about the future for Spurs. Um, uh, so I, I want Mourinho to go as soon as possible. And I, I think there's no point hanging on to him at this, for the rest of the season. I really don't. I, I think 
uh, an interim manager, even if it's like Eddie Howe, I genuinely think that that would improve things right now. And I think potentially even lead to an increased chance of us qualifying for the Europa League again next year, which is like £40 million worth of income. Uh, not that I want Eddie Howe as our coach long term. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I, 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 I think that's a decision I would take immediately. But in terms of the future, we have got so many good players and exciting yeah. players. Young players about to come back from loan who are going to add genuine options to the squad. Young players even younger than that who look like they could be you know, proper first-team contenders in Scarlet and Divine. And some others. Um, we've got financial position, financial might that now means that even if we drop out of the Champions League places for a couple of seasons, we can come back no problem. It's not like we're going to drop down to the Championship like Leeds did all those years ago. We're completely sustainable. We're in a really, really, really strong position. You add in the stadium naming rights and you've got a bit of pocket money to spend. We're a couple of players away, genuinely think a couple of players away from challenging for the title with the right coach. I appreciate your, your, you want to be optimistic here and I, I'm a little reluctant to sort of try and undermine your point here, but you, 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 you mentioned young players. We do have some promising young players, uh, Tangaro, etc. but we also have quite a bit of age in the squad yeah. now. Uh, and Mourinho has been a big part in that. He's brought in a bunch of 28, 29, 30, 32 year olds. And this is why this discussion around him that he is now a project manager, which he's never been before. Um, it's just completely absurd. Why bring in players who are only going to be good for two or three years if you're trying to build towards something? And also, how does the football that he's played so far in any way reflect the idea that we're building towards it? So the idea that like he needs two full seasons, he needs two summers, he needs loads of time and investment <laughs> and patience. Is there's, he's given us nothing so far. There is nothing to show for it. There is no. There is no. We've literally stood still. Yeah, we're pretty much where we are when he came. So, so this, uh, this, uh, and playing worse football, or not even, not even worse. That's unfair because we were playing really bad football under, at the end under Pochettino. But we were playing bad football in the attempt to play good football. This is just bad football that is also bad football. And so, yeah, it's not a project. It doesn't look like a project. It doesn't feel like a project. It's not been built like a project, and it's not a project manager. It's a short-term win-now manager with a win-now squad, and he's not winning now. Absolutely. Completely agree. And and just to spin that back into a positive, I think Please. removing <laughs> removing Romino as soon as possible um, gives me faith and hope that then we can start sorting out our, our, our mess of a squad that definitely needs reshaping. And I think what we need to do absolutely need to do this summer is take hits on some of these big earners lucas sissoko aurier maybe larice but you know some of these some of these big earners who are getting towards the sort of twilight of their career get rid bring in a couple of of first team players um stop stop fussing over the odd five million here or there because ultimately it costs us like it did with danny rose and christian erickson take the money now get rid of them move on and support whatever manager we, we put in place with, with a longer-term project and a vision. Uh, I think it's achievable. I really don't think that is too much to ask, particularly, like uh, we mentioned at the top of the podcast, if we have a director of football in place. I'm not saying I want Levy to do all this by himself. I definitely don't think he should. I don't think Steve Hitchin is the man for the job. He doesn't even like transfer windows. Uh, I, I think a director of football is a great idea, whether that happens now or, or not, I don't know. But I don't think it's unachievable. I think all of these things are completely achievable and realistic and we don't need to do too much in terms of incoming transfers off the back of that could you please read jason's question to us what's jason got to say okay uh there are reports there's jason fisher there are reports coming out that spurs will try to move a big name player this summer to make up for some funds lost during a pandemic 
For the most part, I never believe the rumours that come out, but the more I think about it, I can't help but think that Sonny's stock may never be higher. I love the guy and think he is quintessential Spurs, but do you think this is a good opportunity to take advantage of his market value? I could see a player like Neto from Wolves or Eze from Palace fitting into the squad as a long-term replacement and still have some money left over to fill the other gaps in the team. Curious to hear what you all think. Uh, Bardi, I, I think I've had a sneak preview of your view on this, but go on. I mean, we, we are the podcast that loves to sell star players. So <laughs> I, I always agree on selling. I think getting Eze from Palace is going to be impossible. Palace, Zaha's still there, man. He's been he's tried to leave for five years and he, he's not got close. He's going to be 33 or something before they finally sell him. So I don't think Eze is possible. Wolves are a club that we know will sell players. They they buy them in and they will flip them for a profit. And that's, that's how they operate. And I think we should we should take a leaf out of that book as well. If Son is if Son's contract isn't going to be signed, then sell him right right now for as much money as possible. Nathan, the Terminator, are you are you are you sending Son off on his way? I think I might be, man. I think that there are a lot of reasons why it makes sense. Again, I I also absolutely adore Son. I think he's um, goodness. He's one of the better players in the world. You know, he's 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 a goal scoring winger. And there are a lot of players who want to be goal-scoring wingers. <laughs> but there are only a few who are churning out the goals like he does. And he, he's hit and miss with them. He, go, he, he will score five and five and then none in five rather than one in every other game. Um, but he's a tremendous, tremendous player. And I agree that his, his stock is high now. He's coming to an age where he's reaching uh, the later stages of his peak. And we will be a post-peak player soon. And as we know, other football clubs are stupid and they like to buy players at their post-peak age and sign them onto five-year contracts. We've been talking about putting one on a contract, a big five-year contract when he's, when he's getting on. Um, yeah, I, I will, I will give Mourinho something, which is that there do need, there does need to be further investment in squad. It's not that there hasn't been investment in the squads over the last two summers now. But there does need to be more, uh, ideally smarter investment than what we've seen so far, uh, more longer term thinking. I do think we need some more investment in defence. Um, and I think that, yeah, basically the time to sell Sun is when he's at his highest praised, when he's at his most excited, when he's scoring the most goals. And he's absolutely bangs them in this season. Not right this moment, and, and you wouldn't sell him this week. Hopefully he goes on another run of form uh in August, right? Because because teams are that sort of reactive to form. Um, but I think that we could turn a lot of money on Sun. I think that we could, you know, we're in the high tens of millions for Sun. Um, and again, it's a small, it's a small selling market, right? It's five or six teams. Um, but I think that we should definitely be open to to selling him and reinvesting those funds in our defence, and also yes, another player like him to take over his role on the side. I think it comes down to what we get offered or what money sure. is potentially on the table, doesn't it? Because as we've said many times, we don't really know what a post-pandemic transfer market lo- looks like. So it's quite hard to sort of... I mean, if, we, if we're talking about a £90 million incoming transfer fee, you're saying, mm. well, yes, absolutely. It makes complete sense. Uh, but I don't know if that's reality. I don't know if that's a possibility. Um, I I wonder if Son is maybe the cheap option compared to like trying to buy Mbappe or or Haaland, you know, maybe, if maybe. He's, he's the discount um, rapid forwards kind of thing. Maybe. And I think there are some, um, I, I love the shout of Neto. I mean, I, I'm a big yeah. Neto. I really think Neto is going to be an absolute star. And I think get him as soon as possible before his stock rises even further. 
I really also, I love Eze. I wanted us to sign Eze from mm-hmm. QPR, as I mentioned many, many times. Uh, he's not like had a breakout season as such, but he's on the cusp of it. Uh, similarly, I really like Gineppo at Southampton. I think there's so much to work with there as well. I think I feel like he could be another player who, who becomes big. So there are possibilities even in the Premier League of kind of settled players who we could bring in and replace someone potentially. And then if you get Bale on loan for another season, that helps smooth over a transition period. So yeah, I mean, there's definitely logic there. Um, I can I can absolutely see the logic there, particularly if it means that you hang on to Kane for a bit longer. Yes. Um, so next question is from Stephen Kelly, who says, in your opinion, what difference would it have made to the team, club and season if fans were allowed to watch the games week in, week out? at the stadium would fans have had the patience for the development and apparent collapse of the football and how important in general do you think it is for clubs and managers to be held accountable by a crowd um bardi put yourself in your your season ticket seat in the tottenham hotspur stadium spits white hart lane um how do you how do you sort of imagine you would have reacted to this to what we've seen to your manager's performances i mean asking football fans to be patient first of all is is not not something you can do because we're not patient. If just take a look at yourself, Chris, who was immediately against Mourinho from the start, which you <laughs> not may... true, by the way. I found, <laughs> I found an old tweet uh, where I was like, "Give him a chance. Maybe he has changed." And I was I'm looking back at it now, and I'm like, "God, I was so naive. What an idiot." Okay, maybe 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 Nathan or maybe somewhere in between the two of you that would. We were unwilling to give Mourinho time at the start for, for many different factors. Maybe he had, had a, he might have changed, but we didn't know that. But immediately people were like, no, he needs to go. He needs to be out. And the same will happen. People were right, to be fair. Maybe, maybe time, you know, time, 50% were right, 50% were wrong. <laughs> we, we tried everything at Tottenham so far. So why didn't we go for the, the, the megalomaniac? We've gone for every other type of manager. So I was hoping that, <laughs> that I was hoping that the tyrant would be what we needed maybe it was just a big stick to whack our players to get them to play better but it's proven that it's not the case um I think fans in the stadium would have a huge impact because at the moment when whenever Tottenham do bad it's it's social media reacting and nobody nobody pays attention to that you just mute mute responses and whoever's controlling the Tottenham admin or the Twitter account is not even listening to it and who who would listen to those people anyway but fans in the stadium would give a a proper kind of pulse check of what the atmosphere really is and we have fans have that power. Booze at full time, booze at half time. They have um they have an impact on on the man on the, on the chairman that makes a decision. But Levy is also a bit of a megalomaniac. He's fired a manager at half time, so <laughs> who knows? But I, I I think it I think the the distrust and the dislike of Mourinho would be far more vocal now. Um, basically, had coronavirus not happened and had last season continued without Kane, without Son, what I felt when we went out on penalties to Norwich the last game at White Hart Lane, I think that would have continued and I think something might have happened this summer had coronavirus not popped in and that was really due due to the, the fans revolting in the stadium. So yeah, fans have a huge impact. Anything you'd like to add, Nathan? Yeah, uh, I don't think that you can... What have we lost? What we've lost... Uh... We've lost six games in eight matches. Mm. You can't... Fans will have been booing for three or four matches by now, I think, basically, after games. And then with booing us at, like... Uh, it's not addressed to anyone specifically. See, it couldn't be easily labelled as... Um, the fans are booing the manager. The fans are booing the players. The fans are booing the board. Um, but 
I think it kind of gets assumed towards the manager, at least in this country. Um, so I, I do I do think there would be more pressure on Mourinho as a result of fans being in the stadium. Uh, Dan Kilpatrick did an article where he, he spoke to a bunch of season ticket holders, and it was it was it was kind of fifty fifty. Half of them were saying I feel bad for Mourinho; he's being let down by the players. Half of them were saying this guy is a dinosaur; he's useless. He, I don't like his message. I don't like. His I like football. those guys; they're my favourites. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so if half if half the season ticket holders, and obviously that's a small sample, but if you extrapolate that, mm, yeah. if half the season ticket holders in a stadium are keen for him to go, I think that that does weigh on him a little bit. And I do think that Daniel Levy, um, he might consider himself, you know, uh, extremely dry and and calculated. But I think if he hears ten thousand boos. Mm. after a match on consecutive matches I do think he he hears it he can't not hear it basically yeah 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 no I completely agree I think it would make a massive difference um I think also it would provoke Mourinho post in his post-match interviews also and so he sort of almost might talk himself into more trouble um because he, he has to address like he he can't help but address these things he always feels like he needs to sort of look out for number one as you pointed out earlier nathan so uh, mm. that that would that would make for an interesting um dilemma um i mean just w- one more thing on this is what would really spark levy into action is the moment champions league qualification is out of there that's when he sacked pochettino because Pochettino mm. didn't look like he was going to get top four. If we lose this game in, in the hand, League, in, yeah, well, if if yeah, it wasn't we weren't going to get anything with with Pochettino the way the team the team was playing. But if the situation arrives, if we lose to Wolfsburg, it's not going to happen, and we lose our game in hand, then the fear of not no European football will force Daniel Levy's trigger finger. I think that's it. Will, money is the only thing that that guy worries about. I think he would he would get through the booze as long as the hope for Champions League remains. I think that is a really good point. Uh, I, I think for me, I mean, top four for me is, has been gone for a while, but it's absolutely gone. Like, I just cannot see a world in which we completely turn around our fortunes more than all the other clubs around us um, and, and hope that some of them slip. I, like, I just can't see enough of them slipping up for us to sort of come back and take the top four, even if we manage to somehow turn around this mess of form. Um, it's, so it's the Europa League. It's it's who do we draw next after Wolfsburger? Um, and if we draw Leicester or Man U or maybe even would we beat Villarreal at the moment? I don't know. I don't know that we would. And I think once we go out of the Europa League, then Bardi's point would come into effect. What's the point in having Mourinho there mm-hmm. any longer? He's, he's just essentially making, he's stinking the place out. He's making it more toxic. He's upsetting more players. He's not playing our prized assets like Delhi. What's the point? You know, bringing someone who can at least bring a bit of joy back to the training ground yeah. and, and, the, and the football pitch. We And we got, um, the stadium's going to reopen this summer. Tickets, season tickets will go back on sale. And that's, Wolf, that will give that will scare Levy for sure because mm. right now who who's who's going to renew the most expensive season ticket in the world for for no no we don't even get cup games anyway but who's going to renew their season ticket to come watch Dross it's um yeah not my dad yeah mm. <laughs> not your dad yeah mm. understandable so from from season ticket holders to those a bit further afield this is from Cam L so Cam says. 
Uh, I'm a Spurs fan in New Zealand, where there aren't that many people that know football, let alone Spurs. The only way I engage with Spurs is by watching games and listening to the podcast. To me, you guys are 50% of Brands Tottenham. Do you think that your international listeners relate to the pod in a different way to listeners in the UK who get so much more football, Spurs, football slash Spurs chat and exposure? And I do, I do think um, our relationship with overseas fans is is quite a different one um i mean the first thing to say is that uh, it feels to me as though at least 50 percent of our patrons our ex-subs are from overseas um which i think speaks volumes to be honest it's sort of there is a sort of a connection there that people are seeking isn't there we the fact that the three of us are friends is something the fact that we can talk about spurs in a like-minded way is something else but it's also that we've we, we understand what it's like to be Spurs fans over a long period of time we've seen the ups and downs we've been to games we we're it's embedded in our families and our lives to such an extent that I think people appreciate hearing those things and um, what do you think Barty? Um, I think I think for those um, for those international Spurs fans English Spurs fans are very very funny we're very concerned <laughs> about how we look to the rest of the world almost like Ask, like for example, a, a Tottenham fan TV, many, many have tried to do it. It just wouldn't work because Tottenham fans are so scared about how they're perceived elsewhere. So there is, um, it's nice to get the support from the international Spurs community because sometimes the, the local Spurs community can be quite nasty. And yeah. uh, we've, we've all experienced that. We've all mm-hmm. experienced the flashback of proper coys Twitter. Um, so yeah. yeah, and I, I think when I, when I first started, going on podcasts and stuff, I was unaware of, yeah, I didn't have much interaction with international Spurs fans and it's just now, they just see things differently and I'm fully welcoming and embracing that what difference, different way of culture of seeing football and I don't know, they are, occasionally I get a bit upset with international Spurs fans but then I get equally upset with domestic Spurs fans, I'm just upset with Tottenham in general but um, I like our international community and I'm, I'm glad that um, I'm glad that Cam in New Zealand that we can give a little bit of kind of Spurs family and freeling towards it that, make, that makes me feel nice and fuzzy absolutely I mean it's worth saying as well that there's a, a large community of international Spurs fans who actually go to matches regularly mm, and that yeah. is an insane commitment I mean yeah I mean that is you're, you're making all kinds of sacrifices there and it's um pretty yeah, it's pretty that is fandom, my God. Mm. Um, Nathan, uh, what do you reckon? How, how do you feel about our, uh, our international listeners? <laughs> well, it kind of weighs heavy the way that the canvas sort of said it. <laughs> uh, it's a lot Jesus. of pressure. Yeah, I guess so. The thing with Cam is that he can um, he can go down the pub, can't he? He can go see his mates. Yeah. He can, he can throw a house party. He can go play football in the park. So <laughs> you, you tell me. You teach me the way of life. I'm lost. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a really good point. Cam's living it up right now. Oh, Just. God. Yeah, I mean, I saw the um, the video of, of their prime minister who i love uh flipping burgers and stuff at a bar- community oh, barbecue and Jesus. serving him and i was just like oh god i want this so much um thank you cam thank you for the for the kind words and i'm glad we we're able like Barty said i'm glad we're able to make you feel a part of something philip in michigan says where do you look when you watch a match i mean it's literally i didn't grow up watching football when mm. i watch sports that i know better like basketball i know how to watch multiple things at once as the play develops i'm starting to be able to do this with football but sometimes i still get caught ball watching so i'm curious when you tactics bros watch matches <laughs> are there specific things that you look for or do you more let the match wash over you and wait for things to stick out this is such such a good question it because is. sometimes it, because 
and it's a, it's a huge difference between watching the game in the stadium and watching it on yeah. TV. On TV, you're you're to, you're kind of shown what's important. And Nathan's mentioned it a few times that instead of showing a set piece routine or something oh my God, multiple yeah. times, they'll cut to a manager or they'll cut to something that's not interesting. Um, but when you watch when you're watching the game live, you can actually see. The, the danger happening so you could see a player just making a run and you're, yeah. you're the whole stadium's like pass it pass it you can see it you can see it and it's totally different because it opens up the pitch and you you can kind of see why certain managers like to sit high up I don't understand mm. why Bielsa likes to sit so low down but maybe he that's the way he sees space but um yeah it's a, it's a good question I I tend to I tend to not when I watch football on TV I tend to not look at the ball and instead look maybe a three or four meters in front of the ball to see who's moving moving waiting for the board yeah that's a good question though how about you Nathan what are you kind of focused on yeah I I, I, I sort of instinctively I'm drawn to the ball and again <clears throat> as Buddy points out like the director um is it's so ball focused it's like here's the ball from the side mm. on and the camera angle is too zoomed in to see the far side defender and then here's the ball from a side angle and now here's a <coughs> close up of the ball and here's the ball and the ball's out of play let's show a manager and it's just like mm. let me have a look at the pitch please um I'm, I'm still a little ball drawn uh but i i try to look around i try to sort of and i i will i will do sort of like um five ten minute things of like okay for the next 10 minutes i want to see what eric dyer is doing at the far post i want to keep an eye on him for the next five minutes i want to see how hoibia um positions uh when we have possession and that kind of thing and i i will set myself little tasks um, and sometimes it'll be a whole match. It'll be what is this player doing? And again, the camera doesn't help because they're cut off the screen after the match. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I try to I try to see what else is going on other than just immediately on the ball when I can. I mean, I I don't know. Nathan might be a bit young to remember this, but when Sky first launched Player Cam and it was they would oh just zoom in on one player and you couldn't see where he was on the pitch but the camera would just follow him and all you did was see him I'm using my hands to demonstrate this no one could see it's a bit like player cam uh, you would just follow the guy around the pitch and you wouldn't get any sense of, of what he was up to uh, yeah they did try back in the day Sky but it would be good now if you could flip like like FIFA almost flip to an aerial view to watch the game that way instead of relying on the on the on the on the Sky Direct it's um it's the Zinedine Zidane film what's it called uh it's a film of a century or, yeah. or 21st century portrait where they just yeah. they side angle high frame rate just zoom in on him and watch mm. him basically wander around for 90 <laughs> minutes and it <laughs> what is there to take from this yeah like Chris Armstrong was once player cam and I was around my mate Sasha's house because he had he had Sky back then and I my, my dad was never like we're not having Sky and Chris Armstrong on player cam just literally just spinning in circles and just wandering offside not doing anything and the only player I'd watch on player cam is Ndombele I, I think that would be hmm. worth the sacrifice I'm a, I'm a bit like Nathan actually it was interesting when you mentioned that you sort of set yourself a little five minute um, tasks I, I kind of do that too particularly if I I've spot if I think I've spotted something that's different mm-hmm. or unusual tactically, I'll be like, okay, I'm going to follow that very closely for the next five ten minutes and try and work out if my hypothesis is correct. Yeah. Um, the other thing I'm very 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 aware of is when we have the ball at our centre back's feet. I'm very 
like super hyper aware of where our midfield players are coming to position themselves to receive the mm. ball. I think that's one of the reasons why I, I appreciate Harry Winks more than most players because I think he's pretty good at not hiding in those circumstances. Mm-hmm. Whereas Musa Sissoko is the complete opposite. He often runs behind players that he can't receive. Um, but that's something that I've always, for some, I don't know why, I think it's cause maybe because I used to play midfield a bit um, on <laughs> when I tried to play 11 aside. Uh, so that perhaps it was that, but that's something I'm aware of. Also, um, I must admit that since watching Nathan's set piece videos, I've completely changed the way I watch set pieces. <laughs> um, I used to be very much like trying to predict where the ball would go and focus on that zone. Now I'm looking for where the runners are, where the movement is, and you know, Doherty's spin around the back, for example, or you know, have you got any blockers? So that's that's um that's that's a definite bit of insight that's been useful to me. It's very tempting to get drawn to the ball though. And I think when you've got a player like Ndombele, it's not the end of the world because it's gonna be fun when he's got the ball, frankly. And what I'm interested in asking you, Bardi, is do you do you watch when you watch football that doesn't involve Spurs, do you watch it differently? Um yeah, I think so. I, I think I I don't I maybe I spend more time watching individuals when I don't watch Spurs because I'm interested mm. in a certain player. So if I'm watching PSG against Barcelona, I'm watching Verratti, I'm watching Mbappe because I don't see these individuals very often, so I'm I'm very curious to see how they play. And just touching on the the kind of awareness of space and the TV companies showing us that. I think what's what's pretty good in well it depends on the pundit, but what's pretty good in the way they set up football in this country is that the commentary is very much additional information around the game whereas if you watch football in Latin America it's still very football focused like who's got the ball who's running with the ball who's moving it's Doherty to Bale blah 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 and they they are literally chucking the ball so what I think they've got right in this country is the discussion around the game as it goes along and if they just had pundits that I preferred that I liked I think I think I think they've got it they've they've nailed how they commentate here nice nice um Couple more, and then we'll call it a day. Uh, Keith Weichel. So uh, I apologise, Keith, because you sent this a long time ago, and I've been wanting to include it, but we keep getting all these other excellent questions too, and it's difficult to choose. So uh, Keith writes, I wrote an article based on the contrast between Jesus Perez's quote from Football London to Mourinho's fear as it pertains to coaching fear versus risk. So Keith wrote it around kayaking which is one of his passions uh, and this is this is the quote from Jesus Perez there are two ways in football to coach you can coach with fear or you can coach the will to try it's risk with knowledge so if you say to a right back be careful with this pass don't do this pass don't do that then this guy will try to choose the other three options you didn't say and it's dangerous but if you say to this guy be in a good position be in a good angle and then you try try because it's you on the pitch I give you a position and then it's up to you now we have one guy playing who has good skill and takes a risk in possession. We don't tell him to be careful, but to try to read the situations. Sometimes you need to pass and go back and offer support. Yeah, I think it's really interesting that, that we've had this question sit for a couple of weeks and, it's, and we've come to it now after Mourinho's comments in the press about um, basically calling the players out, basically saying, you know, <laughs> they're not doing well enough. I don't understand how that motivates people. I don't understand how that... I, firstly, I don't really accept this idea that, like, players are naturally lacking motivation, that players are lazy. There are going to be exceptions Mm. that essentially, unless they are being beaten with a stick, they will try to get away with putting the ball in the back of their own net. (laughs) These are like elite level professional footballers who've been playing for a long time. Um, 
<laughs> they, they love to win. They're obsessed with winning. The only reason they've become elite professional footballers is because they're obsessed with winning, because they're constantly self-critiquing, because they're constantly trying to work on their game, because they are concentrating, <laughs> focusing so hard in the game. The idea that being told off makes them play better. Uh, maybe maybe I'm being too personal with it. Maybe I, I just I know that that doesn't work for me. And maybe that works for a lot more professional footballers, but I just find it weird and backwards. And it appears that that Perez agrees with me here that that's not how you get footballers to play their best football. So to <laughs> so to go to the press after a loss and say it's not me or my coaching methods, it's not my team's coaching methods. We're faultless. Uh, the squad isn't good enough. Basically, I don't. What does that achieve except for serving him? I, I think this ties into one of the discussions we had a few weeks ago as well, and it was it was post about fear, yeah, huh? It, about about Mourinho's sort of rules, or apparently Mourinho's Mourinho's rules around who has the ball, who has fear. No, it wasn't even that. It was around oh. when um, Delhi was castigated for the flick on halfway. <laughs> All right, yeah. and, and, and the impact that subsequently had on him and other players, and I mean, I, I just think, I think if you gave Fulham Harry Kane and Son Heung-min, they would be higher in the table than we are right now. Uh, I, I think we have such an elite array of attacking players. If we just instilled them with the confidence to go and enjoy themselves and have fun and go and, like do defend of course defend a bit but that's not your primary objective your primary objective is to get the ball work together as a team and get and get it into the opposition net that if that simple change in in approach happened i just think we'd be like so much lighter and and frankly better as a team uh and it does feel to me as though we've had that knocked out of us a bit and we just need a change now to to get it back um this one from alec Deprinsky. alec is always there with the podcast questions and it is appreciated um any podcast recommendations for general non-spurs related football talk any completely random podcast recommendation recommendations i'll send one your way hardcore history is phenomenal if you've never listened so thank you for that alec buddy anything you enjoy podcast wise um, I'm I'm a patron of the Italian Football Podcast, which of is you are. which is it's actually really good, and they they've had some great guests recently. Roy Hodgson, um, a fantastic interview with Jay Buffroyd, who was at Perugia at the same time where they signed Gaddafi's son and everything, and they they you know it's it's kind of nineties Serie A chat, which is my favourite kind of chat. So I, I I thoroughly enjoy their their patron, and I don't have any time to listen to anything else other than than football podcasts and Italian football podcasts. Yeah, I must admit, my podcast listening has declined rapidly during um, during lockdown. Well, there's a yeah. lack of commuting. I don't mm. I don't commute to work, so I don't have that walk to the station. I don't have my time on the train or my walk from the station to the office or at lunch times or just general. I don't seem to walk anywhere. I mean, I'm either running for exercise or in the flat. So yeah. So and when, that, when you run, do you, do you have music on? Um, not often. I've now started putting one headphone in on a, on my long run to try just to literally try and catch up on podcasts. Otherwise, I just I can't I can't work and listen to a podcast. I get too, I get too distracted. Is that because you like to hear your breathing when you run? I just think it's I think it's safer for everybody that if I can hear my surroundings and cars and dogs and on leashes and children it, it's just it's just a safer running experience especially when it's dark if you can hear what's going on Fair I'd recommend it, I recommend anyone that runs to to be aware of where they're running because all it needs yeah. is an idiot on their car looking at their phone and you're dead <laughs> that's 
pretty grim, but it's true. Or at <laughs> no, least, I'm saying, I'm saying. Yeah, you need to be I, aware of your surroundings. I don't like having two two ears covered whenever mm. I'm out in public. I even like even I'm wearing right now open back headphones because I hate closed back headphones. I hate the sensation that I'm like I can't hear um, someone walking behind me. You know that mm. freaks me out. So yeah, I'm I'm the same. Um, in terms of podcasts, like non Spurs ones, my friend John McKenzie. Uh, occasionally hosts Football Today, which is sort of a documentary series. He's also recently taken over um, the podcast and editing role at Analytics FC. So if you're into sort of more statistical stuff, that's really good. Um, Non-football stuff, I listen to MMA podcasts. I listen to um, extremely political podcasts. I'm trying to think. I'm scrolling through. Oh, uh, check out a podcast called The Worst Idea of All Time. Um this two Aussie blokes, well, actually, they might be New Zealanders, and if Cam's still listening, he's going to be very upset. I can't, <laughs> I can't differentiate between the two bollocks. Two um, oceanic geezers. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, they, they're several seasons in now, but the first season, and this is the general premise is, uh, Monday morning, nine o'clock, every single week for a year, they watch the very, very bad Adam Sandler film, Grown Ups 2, and then they podcast about it for an hour, and they sort of gradually lose their minds over a course of a year, and I think it's, it's, uh, it, firstly, yes, it's hilarious, but it's also, uh, it's also really interesting. Mmm. Yeah, I mean, I have heard of that podcast. Uh, I must admit, it didn't draw me in. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you, you, you are not the victim of the film. You are merely witnessing <laughs> the sort of... It's a train crash situation, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, I, I mean, I'm very mainstream now with my podcast tastes, boringly so. So, as I said, I've cut down on the, the number I listen to. So, the, the ones that I never miss, ever, are... Uh, the Adam Buxton podcast, which I think is the, the best podcast, and he's one of my favourite people in the world. I just love anything he does. Um, off Menu with Ed Gamble and James Acaster, which is a foodie podcast, which I really, really, really enjoy. Um, often very funny, but they they talk about food and um, and restaurants, and it's it's enjoyable if you're into that kind of thing. And another massive favourite is Films to Be Buried with with Brett Goldstein, who I think might be a Spurs fan. So if like if anyone has any means of contacting Brett Goldstein and telling him that we love his podcast, I love his podcast, and he would be very welcome on here, then please do. He's one, he's a wonderful human being, and the the premise of the of the podcast is that the guest has died and ultimately is going to take one film with them to heaven and they talk about their life through films. Um, the first film they saw, the film that means the most to them. Uh, the funniest film, all the best film, worst film. It's really, really good. There's a vast array of different types of, of guests. Uh, not, not always comedians, but often comedians. Uh, I, I strongly recommend it. It's an excellent film pod if, if you like films. Yeah. Uh, actually, one thing Brett does on his podcast, which I really like, is he gets people to write reviews for his podcast where they don't talk about the podcast, they talk about the film that means the most to them. So maybe we should rip off that idea and say, if you're still listening by this point, leave us a five-star review on iTunes, and in the in the blurb, write about the match, the Spurs match that has meant the most to you. And uh, if, we, if, we, if we get any, we'll read them out in the next pod. You've been listening to The Extra Inch. Thanks to Nathan A. Clark for production. Thanks to Bardi for being Italian. Thanks to Adam Gardner for the artwork. 
Thanks to David Lindmer for our intro music. You can find him on Twitter at Davy Shambles and his SoundCloud D Lindmer. Do check him out, he's great. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at The Extra Inch. Email us via podcast at theextrainch.co.uk and subscribe via your usual podcast platforms. And if you do enjoy the podcast, consider leaving us a rating and review. That would really help.